anything like Tom Hanks. I mean, who who is this kid out of nowhere? <laughs> I think he's probably my mom's kid. And uh, you know, accidental or, or, or or he's from someone else or I, I don't know it's just I've met my dad and I don't see the resemblance I met him seven years ago I mean uh, and maybe that's why he really he, he got teary eyed but I'm like what are these tears this guy <laughs> doesn't know me and, and you know I don't get that vibe I may you know I'm thinking Tom Hanks is my real dad what would it be like if I met him would it be like Okay, these are real emotions here. Not this guy just trying to trying to curdle out of tears. This is real here. Do you think? Oh, it depends on how you would come at him. Like, what do you? Are you trying to come at him because you want something from him, or you just? I'm want too him old to be for him? that, man. But I, I mean, I want something in a way that I feel like if we met, I would be where I'm supposed to be at in life, only because uh. I just feel like, uh, I mean, he's not even my favorite actor, but he's my favorite <laughs> guy I gotta, I gotta meet because I feel like there's a, there, if we would make that connection, um, he's my dad. And, well, I mean, I just, I guess, so why, why is he, why is he copping out of it? You know, what, I do feel lied to a lot of my life. Like, why did my mom admit to, uh, being with Tom Hanks? <laughs> But, okay, so you gotta you gotta put out the timeline. Like, in what scenario or where would your mom and Tom Hanks would have would have met? I don't know. That's the thing. And I mean, but he's from the Bay Area. I mean, I, I don't know. My dad left when I was one. Um, well, supposedly the guy I met, that's my dad, left when I was one. Uh-huh. Supposedly, but you know, I mean, Tom Hanks. Uh, played a part in there somewhere maybe he's the real guy that left and they're just everything's just messing with my head i mean there, w- there was no story that could be kept straight either so i was i was told to say my dad's dead uh i mean yeah i was told he's dead the next thing you know i'm told he's all over the place oh that could be your dad that could be your dad shit and i was told i was bought in a uh hospital gift shop for 10 cents so many lies man (laughs) it were it's like was i just raised to be confused because tom hanks is my real dad you gotta reach out if you really think so dude you you might as well you get fuck it you gotta go for broke so tiktok videos just like thousands of tiktoks like yo tom hanks you're my dad evidence number one tom hanks you're my dad evidence number two and you just got to make a whole series until Chet Hanks or some somebody on his PR team is like, like Tom, like is this your kid? I mean, yeah, cause uh, Forrest Gump. Like I watched that and I was like, I think he was reaching out to me because <laughs> I was in special ed growing up, and so I feel like there was some way in that movie he was trying to uh, give me hope, but there's something that happened where he's not allowed to say he's my dad. This your, random your Chet mom, Hanks. Your mom broke his heart. That's that's all there is to it. Your mom broke his heart. She was so fire in the sack. And wow. she left him. She left him, dude. He didn't leave her. She left him. We need to make this connection before it's too late. Because my mom is starting to lose it a little bit. Um, she asked me today uh, if Easter is in April this year. So, you know, we got to we gotta 
make that connection before it's you too gotta, late. You got to get on it, man. I mean... You got to do the 23andMe. You got to you gotta hire some forensics. And people, I mean, there's people make changes in life. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, that's, that's way, hold on. Oh, we got a, we got a call. Okay. Yeah, we got it. Yeah, people make changes in life, but you got to be there for your kids, man. You, you, you ain't got no kids? Uh, nah, dude. Oh. I, I can't do it in this day and age. Not right now. Well, praise the Lord to that, man. Yeah, man, I'm too dumb to have kids right now. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're too smart, right? <laughs> let's see what we let's see what we got here. All right. You said we got a call? Oh, yeah. Hold on, we got uh boom. Oh, wait, that didn't work out. Okay. Well that didn't work out. Um call her call back. Yeah. I got it up. Yeah, we'll make that, that call back. You know what I think is wait, we should get this on the reel so we could uh really explain this to the person out there. Um all right. So this 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 guy was saying how his mom's 21 and he said he's saying that because women don't like to be told how old they are. That's a sexist pig, right? <laughs> don't ask a woman her age. How do you know she doesn't want to be asked her age? Sexist pig, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? That what a pig. Wait, he's a caller said that? No, no, I'm, I'm just trying to... Oh, you're talking he, about me. I'm saying a guy was assuming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that? Hot topic. Asking a woman her age is sexist. I mean, no, no, I'm saying, uh... I'm saying assuming... Oh, assuming a woman's age. No, assuming a woman doesn't want to be asked her age is sexist, right? What if she does? I think women hate that, right? Well, uh, women fucking hate that's that. That's what we think. No matter what. That's what we think, but maybe they do like to be asked their age. No, no dude. No way. Uh, women are like a tree. They don't want to be asked their age, man. Dude, women are like a tree. Women are like trees. They just want to grow and keep going. They don't want to fucking stop and get asked for their age, dude. Like, well, women don't like that shit. I mean, I, I've, gotten, I've been slapped at least one or two times for asking that. I think it's, well, it's kind of insulting when, uh, you know, I think it's insulting when guys will cart a woman who's like 90 years old. Like, that is just, <laughs> that is just sarcastic. That's fucking hilarious. Like, I, w <laughs> I would never do that, but that's, uh. Well, well with, with older women, don't you always, don't you always say, oh, man, you don't look, you don't look a day over 45 when really they're like 85 years old. Maybe because I believe women could beautif be beautiful at uh, 50 and even more beautiful because they can't have kids. <laughs> oh, I'm, and I'm not saying that, like, they're ugly when they get older. It's just that, you know, you're not my demographic yet. Maybe when I'm 80, 90, 80, 90 will be my demo. But right now I'm, I'm chilling, dude. Yeah, well, uh, 80, yeah, with all the partners, it was 50, 50 something, right? Dude, Betty White died, what, at like 99? 95? She was still, she was still pretty oh, banging for her. Go, here we go, here we go. All right. Oh. Okay, here, we got a caller on the line? Hello? Oh, yeah, hey, we got Lily Wang on the phone. What's up, Lily? Uh, Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you, you hear us? All right. It's a little bit faint on my end. No, it's, 
Sure enough. She's good. So, uh, Lily Wang, author and subconscious pro reprogramming coach. Oh. Yep. What What is a subconscious pro reprogramming coach part? What, what is? Sorry, Luke, it's a little bit choppy on my end. Um, I'm not sure if there's a way to adjust that, but I can. I'm, like a little I'm having a little trouble hearing you. Let's see. I'm going to go there. Hello now. Hello? Oh, you can't hear me. Hear you now? Hello now. Oh, yeah, that's a little too much there. Okay, that one should be good right there. How about now? Yeah. All right. That's much cool. better. Hey, now hey. we're working. What is this subconscious reprogramming coach? What, what does that involve? Yeah, so subconscious reprogramming is, uh, is a branch of work that has to do with hypnotherapy. So oh. hypnotherapy is a yeah. mode of therapy where through deep relaxation and what's called an induction process, we actually bypass the conscious thinking mind and access directly the subconscious, which makes up 95% of your brain activity. So the subconscious mind, it's like an iceberg. It's like all of the matter of the iceberg that's below the surface of the water that is driving a lot of your emotions, a lot of your behavior. So by, it differs from talk therapy because talk therapy, while very effective, is working through the, the conscious mind. So there's a lot of narrative there. There's a lot of story there. But subconscious reprogramming, we actually bypass the conscious mind and go directly to the subconscious where you have a lot of those stories in place and a lot of programs that are often, you know, not so helpful for you. Maybe some things that have been conditioned in you from parents or from culture, from society at large that maybe getting in the way, um, maybe blocking some of your mental, emotional, or spiritual well-being. So subconscious programming and hypnotherapy help you really do some profound change work in that way. Oh shit. So it's like inception, but in like a positive way. That's fucking dope. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Right. I definitely. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I, I think I lost you again. Hello. I could I could use some hypnosis. I think. <laughs> Is it drug induced or what? Uh, well, see, so I have kind of OCD with checking my car, and I well, okay. So can this work with like anxieties in life? I'm sorry, Luke, can you say that again? It's a little bit choppy on my can, end. Can this hypnosis cure some anxieties? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So hypnosis can definitely help kind of get to the root cause even of what is the anxiety about. It's not just symptom management, right? It's actually understanding, oh, what was the origin of that anxiety? Where did it come from? What was the first place in your life so we can do regression techniques that can actually go back in time and really help address the root of the issue. So I say that, you know, subconsciously programming, why I love it so much is it really helps get to the root cause of issues such as anxiety. I'm, I'm just nervous of if those anxieties went away, if not thinking about it would like make it worse. <clears throat> like... Like, I yeah, always I mean, check my car a lot to make sure, like, I get nervous about it. What if I got hypnotized not to be nervous, not to be nervous about certain things? And then uh, I just got too comfortable. 
<laughs> well, the human mind uh, is designed to think, you know, so I assure you that you don't have to worry that you won't be thinking enough about certain things that you need to, but hypnotherapy can certainly help you kind of get to be the root cause of when you might be overthinking or your thinking is led by a lot of fear rather than simply doing what you need to do. So, so what is the difference between like, you know, hypnotherapy and a, you know, regular therapy session? And what is that? What is that trauma what therapy? What is the difference called? between hypnotherapy and regular therapy? Yeah. Like, what? Why would I prefer going to hypnotherapy instead of you know talking to a therapist? Um, let me see. So I heard. Why would I prefer going to a hypnotherapist rather than a regular therapist? Yeah. Is that yeah. correct? Yes. That was it. Yeah. Okay. So, like I said, I, be I totally believe in talk therapy. I go to a talk therapist myself. Um, and there's a time and a place for it. But talk therapy typically takes a lot longer to see a change, right? And that's a beautiful part of the process that, you know, humans are complex creatures and it takes time to develop a relationship and kind of talk through your issues and kind of get to an understanding of it, but you're working through the conscious mind. Mm -hmm. So think of it, um, another way to think of it is hypnotherapy is like strength training for the mind. It's very, it's actually a very mm -hmm. concentrated type of focus where you're getting to the root cause of an issue. Whereas um, something like meditation is like cardio for the mind. And I think of talk therapy as, you know, a way to address issues and you know, work through stories and kind of gain an understanding and develop a relationship, which can be very healing in and of itself, but it takes a long time. They say that one hypnotherapy session is the equivalent of 15 talk therapy sessions. Holy so shit. by working directly with the subconscious mind, you can get some really powerful transformational results rather more quickly than with talk therapy damn that's like the disney pass fast of therapy holy shit disney plus yeah, yeah. We, we, <laughs> i we, gotta i might have to that. do that we need that now the world's kind of nuts right now yeah seriously i mean we all need hypnotherapy we gotta everybody my fellow uh therapizers definitely start doing hypnotherapy what well, I gotta get your number later, Doc. Like we gotta talk. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'll, I'll, I gotta I'm get her do in. that promotion for sure. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, social media seems to be uh, a big thing with uh, I've seen in kids with depression. Yeah. Hey, do you find that a lot? Uh, they, they say. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Social media, like they say, the TikToks and the Facebook and the Instagrams, all being a, a problem with. The kids depression issues do you find that an issue also my, my thing is just like why do kids have these things anyway yeah certainly um, I mean social media is so addicting right um, and I just want to make sure I, I heard the question because of the unfortunately the line is still a bit choppy for me um, but what I'm hearing is that like yeah, social media, TikTok. I mean, we're seeing like like usage rates go way up, you know, because these things are just a constant stream of entertainment. Um, it's TV, it's like modern day TV, right? Um, and what happens is that we kind of become really lazy. <laughs> we're used to getting a stream of constant content 
um, in front of our eyes, and that can really impact. I mean, I also don't want to be harping on social media because I think it's the the, the time and place, and it's, it's just um, part of the world that we live in now, and there can be some beautiful connections that come through social media when used very mindfully, when used in a way that, you know, considers your other needs, but I think... It's just so easy. Like, you know, I don't know if you've seen the social dilemma, but these things, these businesses, their incentives, their bottom line is not aligned with human well-being. It's aligned with, you know, how can we sort of usurp as much of your attention as possible? Yeah, no, and I'm sure it's a game for we, them. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I think, you know, the social dilemma is an incredible documentary that depicts that in depth. Uh, but these companies are literally tracking your behavior, predicting what's going to get you to spend the most time on their platform so that they can get, you know, ad, ad money and so they can sort of uh, boost their bottom line in that way. So the, the big paradigm shift is realizing what's, when it comes to social media, we, the user, is the product that the company is selling. So they want you to get hooked. They want you to, you know, forget about nurse moving your body. They want you, well, I mean, that might be putting it a bit extreme, but some of the consequences that come from extreme usage of social media, right? Forgetting to move your body, um, forgetting to nourish your relationships, take care of yourself. Like these things, these social media companies are not really taking into account. So we presently have to take that into account for ourselves. Yeah, kids can be on the social media all dang day. Why are parents giving them phones? It makes it easier for them. Like it, it may, like especially you know you see at restaurants now you one or two one mm. or three year olds when they're getting a little fussy, parents don't try to like calm them down and regulate them themselves. All they do is just give them the phone or the iPad, and it's just like bam, okay, they're good now for the next couple hours. And we're teaching kids that. You know, if I cry a little bit or if I whine or do whatever, then I'll get my way every time. And it will always be like, you know, social media and, you know, your phones and just staying on your devices 24-7. Gosh, parents are getting lazy now, yeah. too. Yeah. So, Lily, you uh, had more uh, depression issues in your 20s, right? And you're... Probably not too far away from that right now. Uh, well, you're, are you still in your 20s? I am still in my 20s. Gosh, you're I still going 29. through that. Okay. 29. So, yeah. so you, so I, I, I believe you were saying you, you dealt with depression in your 20s, though. So, like, you, you saw it and you're still in your 20s. So, you snagged it. Is, is that right? Because now um, you're changing sorry, lives. That last part again? Well, it sounds like you, since you're you're not over your 20s so you uh but but you dealt with depression in your 20s uh, I, I believe you said so uh you saw the depression coming and then you snagged it right like is that how, how'd you how are you dealing with that i because now you're no, changing I, lives um, oh thank you um it is it's true that i am still in my 20s and i had my most recent episode when um, this past year, um, in 2021. So when I was 29. Um, so I am recently out of my most, my, <laughs> you know, my latest episode of depression. But, um, 
why I why I wrote my book, The Wiggle Way. The Wiggle Way, because yeah. Because I really wanted to, you know, as someone with this experience, as someone who's been through depression five times now, my first one being, my first episode being when I was 19 years old, um, I really wanted to document all of the things that helped me the most. Not coming from, you know, I, I am a subconscious programming coach and a hypnotherapist, but I was really writing this book as a consumer, you could say, of mental health care, of um, treatment. Um, as a patient, really, I wanted to say, hey, you know, these are the things that helped me the most with my mental health that I didn't learn from any therapist or any doctor or any therapy program, for that matter. Um, I really kind of, I had the opportunity to travel the, travel the world and go to 20 countries in two years before the pandemic and interview people along the way, say like, hey, how did you get through tough times in life? You know, what does that look like in Indonesia versus in Denmark? Um, and what does resilience mean to you? I would ask that to every person that I would interview. And I took all of those responses and um, compiled them into a method that I call the Wiggle Way. And Wiggle is an acronym that stands for watch your thoughts, invite curiosity, get off the seesaw, go within, learn the language of the soul, and enjoy. So these are the six things that have helped me the most with my mental health and oftentimes given me instant and long-lasting relief from depression that I would just floored that someone who's been through the mental health care system so many times, I've seen so many psychiatrists and therapists, um, but oftentimes these things I learned from the spiritual community, from my meditation community, yeah. and mm-hmm. it kind of floored me that all of this treatment that I've received didn't mention any of these things. So I really wanted to document it all in one place as a resource for others who might be suffering or kind of suffering on repeat like I have. And just to offer like a a real lived experience perspective and add my voice to the conversation and say like, hey, I've lived it. I've lived through it multiple times. I know how much, how painful this is. And instead of going back into the system, going back to see doctors, this is what really helped me. Yeah, a lot, a lot of times, like you, would you say people that are dealing with depression don't really uh, express it? Mm-hmm. Oh, you there? I'm sorry, I missed that. Yeah, well, would you say people that are dealing with uh, depressions don't really express it? Because I know it's a lot of people that I've known that have ended their lives. I guess that took an exp- extreme turn there, but I mean, uh, that's depression. They, they didn't really, they didn't say anything. I was like, oh, wow. Hmm. Sometimes you just don't know. Right. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, sometimes I guess... you just don't know. People deal with it in different ways. Unfortunately, yeah. it can be oftentimes very silent. Um, but it's—I hate to say it—but oftentimes it is a part of the human experience because I, I define depression as a signal that something in your life needs to change. And you know, rather than the sort of biochemical paradigm around depression that oh, it's just a chemical imbalance in your brain. It's actually a sign and a symptom of a deeper issue. 
usually. So, you know, that's why I went really deep on understanding my own, my own um, kind of manifestation of depression and really trying to understand from others around the world who have been through it, like, when does, and why does this show up for you? And what has your journey been like? So I, I tried to put all of that into my book. Yeah, like you, you really have to find out when it's happening. Like I, there's a guy at work, great guy, I love working with him. He always says, oh, just shoot me. But he's expressing himself, and so I know he's okay. Versus yeah. the other guy who just said, I'm, I'm done with this job. And everyone's like, whoa, uh, okay. And then he jumped in front of a train. And you're like, we had, oh, no. had no idea. And I'm like... Oh, no. Ooh, yeah. Everyone's like, didn't yeah. see that coming. Well, the, the thing is... Yeah, oh. yeah, I... Oh, yeah, I... You know, that's oftentimes when it's hardest. Um, yeah, and a lot of research says with, with suicide that it's often a 20-minute window. If someone can reach out to that person or if, if we can kind of have the cultural paradigm to encourage people to reach out for help, if you can make it past that 20 minute window of acute danger, then you can really save a life. Yeah. How do you, how do you see that? Is a lot, of, okay. So a lot of times when I've seen people that are about to actually visually see them about to take their life, I show you more like the train tracks. I would see them pacing back and forth. It's kind of like, just like I seen that movie, The Bridge, where people that would jump off the bridge, same thing they would pace back and forth. How do you capture that moment? Just just go up and ask them, hey, you all right? I don't think anyone's ever asked them because they don't really know what's up with them. How do, you, how do you stop that next move? How do you stop, how do you stop that next move? Yeah, like, because... Well, because you see what this person's doing, but no one ever, I guess that's that's what happens. No one ever actually asks or knows how to ask somebody what's going on with them. Yeah, so I, I highly encourage people to take a training course called Mental Health First Aid. Mm. So I went through this training course um, a couple years ago, and it was really informative because we have... You know this this not very natural fear that if we ask someone to if we're worried about them if you think they're they're at risk of hurting themselves we think that oh if we mention the word suicide we're going to put ideas in their head yeah you know but it's actually the other way around you know the research has shown that if you say the word suicide if you ask someone hey are you feeling suicidal then it actually makes them feel more comfortable that they realize that, like, you know, they can acknowledge what's already going on in their mind. Hmm. Um, so oftentimes it's as simple as that, if, especially if someone's on a bridge, especially if, like, you know, just follow your instincts. If you really think, okay, someone's not doing very well, then you just ask them and you use the word, are you feeling suicidal? Because that helps, that is an invitation for people to really open up. And like I said, you can really save some lives that way. I feel like this world's really putting extra things in people's heads. Um, like, mm. you're, uh, do you belong to this or belong to that? What do you, what do you think is really the 
a big core and and what's making a lot of people depressed these days oh is that is that a good one there i think it's uh i think uh, i'm sorry luke can you say that again the line the line keeps cutting out what, what do you think is a big core in people being depressed these days i'm noticing there's a lot of uh people really feel like they got to belong these days did you hear us yeah. Um, what I'm hearing is is what is the what is the the force to hmm. people being depressed? Let's do it. Yeah. What's the force with people being depressed? Yeah. Okay. Let's roll with that. Or yeah. Well, especially these days. What are we we're dealing with? Yeah. I mean, depression is a is a very complex experience, and it obviously looks very different for different people. But I think you know. I think one thing is definitely being stuck in life. You know, something that I write about in my book is, um, for me, I mean, I can, I'm speaking personally here. Um, when we have an issue, when we have a wound, something like low self-worth or if we you know, didn't really build up our sense of self and our sense of confidence and our, our kind of relationship with ourself growing up, we have a lot of negative self-talk and things like this, um, we can end up using external things as sort of a, a painkiller for that wound. So that could be relationships, which it was for me. That could be... Um, not only relationships, but that could be a job, you know, something that you find identity in. That could be a group of friends. That could be a creative pursuit. Anything that oftentimes gives us a temporary relief from that pain that um, lies at kind of at, at our core, right? That sort of festers. But then, oh, this person comes along and they love us unconditionally and or oh i'm great at my job and that gives me self-worth or a reason to be in this world um and that can temporarily relieve our pain but it's really tricky because the wound is still there it's just being placated so okay. what happened to me is because of this wound it would leave me very vulnerable in the face of loss when these external things would go away for whatever reason, I would be subject to depression when I would lose them. Either a relationship would end or I would burn myself out from working because I was, you know, trying to prove myself in my job and overworked myself and didn't, didn't take care of our needs. You know, that's another aspect of depression is when we're not really caring for ourselves. We're not really paying attention to our needs holistically for good relationships, for rest, for things like good food, exercise, movement, you know, community where we can feel supported and connected. Um, these things often, you know, don't really get valued in today's society. So I think um, another big force is that we live in the age of machines. And one of my favorite authors, Johan Hari, he has a great quote that I draw a lot of inspiration from. He says, if you're depressed or anxious, you're not a machine with broken parts. You are a human being with unmet needs. 
So I think that's a really beautiful quote that sort of sums up some of these forces that we oftentimes, yeah, we live in an age of machines and it shows up in the ways that we complement each other if we're really productive or we get a lot done. You know, you'll often hear, I know that I've heard myself be complimented with, oh, you're such a machine, like go you. Um, but I think that points to the problem that ultimately we're not machines, you know, we're human beings with needs. And in my book, I write about how I think there are four fundamental unmet needs when it comes to mental health. Um, the first is to the, to the first is the need for change, right? Like change is the only constant in our lives, but oftentimes we get really comfortable and we don't want to change, but change, but stagnancy is kind of the opposite of life, right? Like, when we're stagnant, we're not really evolving. Life is no longer dynamic. Um, so sometimes emotional pain comes up as a reminder for change, just like hunger is a reminder to eat. Emotional pain is a reminder to change. Um, the second is the validation of just the hot messes that we all are as human beings. Yeah. I think um, this idea that we, there's a lot of perfectionism in today's society, especially with social media and all of the forces of that. So I think just uh, just really supporting and amplifying the message that none of us have this figured out and we're all here to figure this out in our own way is really important. Um, another need is Another need is validating the really dark and messy process that is transformation. That, you know, we're all on our own hero's journey in a way, and we all enter what's called the liminal space, just like a butterfly enters a, a, a cocoon, and it actually gets broken down into a goo, into caterpillar soup, and it uses these imaginal cells to recreate itself into a butterfly. But that process, it is it is not easy. It is not pretty for a caterpillar to turn into a goo. Um, and so, yeah, I think just validating and, and more people kind of speaking up about like, hey, I'm going through a transformation. I'm going through change. And it is hard. It is not comfortable. Um, and normalizing that, yeah, as we transform through life, I think, you know, it's like every seven years, all of our cells turn over and we're literally biologically a different person. Um, Normalizing that is really, really important. And let me see if I can remember the fourth need. I like the way you... uh, Oh, it's the need to understand that we are more than our minds. So our minds are extremely fickle and corruptible, but... Being the mental creatures we are with these big brains, I think we have a huge tendency to identify with our minds. But we are so much more than our minds. You know? So a lot of what I talk about in the book is how do we connect with a deeper part of ourselves, like our body, our intuition, and our soul. The mind is an incredible tool, but that's why we see so much mental illness nowadays when we put the unfair task on our minds of solving all of our problems. Right, And so many things in life are out of our control. So how can we kind of let the mind be a servant to the soul rather than the other way around? All so right. there's well, a lot of forces at play when it comes to depression. And there's meta forces, there's macro level on society, there's micro level on the individual. And um, But a big one is 
yeah, I hate to say it, but living in a machine age and thinking that you know we are meant to be productivity, yes. we're, we're meant to be productive machines, and really we are human beings with a complex set of needs that need to be taken care of. So the real task for mental health care, in my view, is understanding what those needs are for each individual and how to meet them. Well, yeah, let's uh, well, let's make let's get that book. Um, so we're gonna end things and get to uh, another topic here. Uh, well, it was great having you on, and uh, let us know where to get your book and all your uh, where to find you and where everyone could find you and us here. Yeah, so my book is The Wiggle Way: A Guide yeah. from Despair to Unfuckwithable Joy, and it's currently on Amazon. Um, if you just search The Wiggle Way. Oh. And you can find me on Instagram at Lady Wiggle. And I also have an Instagram account for the Wiggle Way. So be on the lookout for more updates from me, more conversation around mental health, and yeah, and more ways to stay in touch. But thank you all for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Um, yeah, Instagram, Lady Wiggle is the best way to get in touch with me. Oh, I don't think, okay, okay, I don't think I, we're uh, contacted on Instagram, I'm, okay, I'm going to get that then, all right, the Lady Wiggle, I like that, and we're both interested in your book here, me and yeah, Wally Hippolito here. Awesome. Well, great having you on, and, uh, yeah. Was, Thank you so much, thank well, you, appreciate it. All right, and great having you on, thank you. That was dope, man. I didn't. I was not expecting to learn that much shit today on a Sunday. <laughs> Wait, really? Oh, yeah, let me yeah, turn honest. this down. Wait, I just turned that down. It's, Wait, oh, I turn myself. Okay, here I go. Here. So, uh, hello. Yeah, oh, okay. you, know, you should. Yeah. So, uh, here's the time where uh, Taylor Swift, man. You like Taylor Swift? Uh, I got myself a. I, I, I'm not. I'm not gonna say I can't. I can't. I'm not a fan, man. But what do we got? What you doing? This uh, beautiful Taylor Taylor Swift. Are we gonna like, do some karaoke right now? And uh, you, you, can you do karaoke? <laughs> no, no, I'm just playing. I got myself a Taylor. Wait, hold on. Let me get I, I, Taylor Swift. It, it says uh, superstar. And do you think she's a superstar? Yes. Yeah, I mean that's Taylor Definitely. Swift, bro. Look, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. She she was a uh, night dude. She got her first award at nineteen. Look how beautiful she is in her dress. You see that? Look Lil Wayne that. won a Grammy at sixteen. Okay, well she loves a challenge. She she said she loves a challenge, and uh, she was born December thirteenth in nineteen eighty nine. Oh, there's someone that loves Taylor Swift. Just entered. You, you, ta Pat, Taylor Swift. Pat, Sam likes Taylor Swift, you're a big right? Taylor Swift fan. Thank you. Go, come on. No. See, I, dude, I think she you look, are look at this. a third this. of the look. population right look. now. She started asking her parents if she could move to Nashville when she was ten years old. Ten years old. Dude, I asked to move out of the house when I was like seven or eight. Because she's I passionate about music. <laughs> she's passionate. Uh, yeah, and she, she, you know, wait, a lot of people ask her, how did you get the courage to walk up to record labels when you were 12, 12 years old? Man, when you're a kid, that's when you're the ballsiest, though. You don't give a fuck when you're a kid. Right, well, okay. And they, and people appreciate okay. We could talk about Batman. Oh, man, I didn't even watch that shit yet. You, you didn't like it? No, I didn't watch it. The newest one? Yeah. Dude, no, I didn't even watch it yet. I'm supposed to watch it 
I was supposed to watch it last night, but I ended up watching The Green Mile. The Green Mile yeah, you was... Were trying to, you were really trying to study up on me, huh? Yeah, dude. You know, when I found out you might you might be Tom Hanks' kid, I was like, you know what? I, in the 45 minutes that I have, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look at his dad's best work. You know, I mean, they... See, I just watch it like a regular movie. I'm watching Batman here. But then you watch the media and they're attacking or being political. And then I'm also like, how is this political? It's Batman. But I guess uh, the, the Catwoman threw in the white privilege thing. Isn't that obvious? Catwoman's I mean, black in the movie. Well, uh, no, no. She, she said to Batman, white privilege. And oh, she said that to. You just point out the obvious. Oh, I mean, Jesus. What, what's the... I mean, she made out with the guy. Uh, she was feeling him, and she, and then you know, she threw out that. He yeah, I mean, but her. she wasn't like attacking him. She was just pointing out the obvious, like, bro, you you white privilege, like asking the questions. <laughs> I mean, what's what's the problem? I feel like they just got. I mean, I mean every movie these days, they, it has to stand for something, right? And people expect you know a what? movie of Batman's caliber to. It, say something, you know. Even though it doesn't have to, they feel like they bro, do. If I would have seen that before watching the movie, maybe I'd be traumatized because some white privileged folks uh, were throwing soda in my direction uh, when the movie was ending. Uh, but I, but see, I was just watching it like a regular movie. But if they filtered my head with that, I, I would have just snapped at these white white folks, um, right? Yeah. I mean, what? Why me? It got to intervene. With, with this nonsense, man. With, with, with white privilege? Or I mean, with, 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 with like uh, saying it's political because of this kind of stuff, man. Oh. So it's a, it, it just point out the obvious and it's a freaking movie. Well, I mean, it, that, that's the thing, though. It's not going to stop because controversy sells, right? Oh, is that what it is? That's, okay. Dude, come on. At the end of the day, it's always about the controversy because controversy sells tickets, okay, man. Yeah, okay, I don't mind you know, that, whether you, Dude, the thing is, whether you hate it or you love it, you want to go watch it. I mean, what it was was it was a Batman detective movie, and that's what I... There was a Batman detective uh, comic series, and that's what I get. Because he is a detective, though. Like, well, that's his thing. Well, more in, in a sense, well, now he was actually in the room with the police as they're looking at the crime scenes. That's, oh, okay. that's a detective type of dude. And, and that's, that's the vibe I was getting. From, it was from those kind of comics. He wasn't just like, I'm just beating up people. Like, I'm just beating, yeah. Instead, he's, he's walking in the room with the police as they're looking at the body. He's saying, you know why? It's... This is the answer, and so it's like he's he's like a detective guy. I'm Dude, that's for the, fucking dope. I, I'm like that TV show. Like that's the, honestly what I've been. That's honestly what I've been wanting to see for a while now. Imagine if he was like Columbo. They, they need <sighs> they need a TV series of this where it's Batman and he's just a detective dude, and, and, and he's just a straight detective. Yeah, I'm feeling it. You know, yeah, right? I like that dude. I mean, I, don't fuck it up for me because I haven't watched it yet, mm. but. It sounds like that's what I'm looking for in my Batman. Like, he still kicks ass, right? But he's also, like, using his intellect instead of just his gadgets. There's a lot of daddy issues in these things lately. Cat, oh, for sure. Catwoman, um, the bad guy, it turned out later, was her, her father. Oh, dude, don't, don't. Oh, okay. Come on, man. <laughs> but just like the Power series, I don't know if you watch Power. No, I don't watch uh, Power. But they're all hating on their, on their pops. Um, well, I mean, what does that say, though? There's, there's lots of 
fathers in families these days. Yeah, um, a lot of single parents these days for sure. Like, did you hear Both about ways. the uh, the Kane, the UFC fighter guy? Yeah. I don't know how to vibe with that, man. Uh, I don't know if people just not thinking or uh, or if I'm wrong, but I'm like he shot a different guy than he intended to shoot, so I can't give him props. I don't like child molesters, but uh, I like people that aim correctly for those people. <laughs> I mean, I took a guy out to lunch uh, that just got done doing time for uh, killing a pedophile. And uh, I don't waste money. So, I mean, I give props to those kind of people. Dude, there was, just, there was another guy that just got her. Fuck. He was a huge story like a couple weeks ago. Mm. He just he did the same thing that um, Kane did. He fucking killed the guy that was molesting his kid. Fuck, I forget his name. But, but he, he didn't he do got, it. Hey, he didn't do the it, same thing. But, Kane okay, did. no, no, he got the actual guy. Yeah, though. he got That's the actual. That's what I'm talking guy. about. But that guy, but the dude, but the the dad got like seven years or something like that for obviously for murdering. But it's like, yeah, man, like I think it's what you were talking about earlier. It's like why street people, justice, dude. But why are people giving props to someone who shot the wrong guy? Uh, it's it. It just shows he cares, you know. And that it, that Our, sounds so simplistic, but like that's it shows that like oh, you know, he was trying to do right, but he's fucking stupid. And honestly, it's to paint him in a better picture in the long run, because dude, he's think about this. He's a famous UFC. He's a famous fighter. Couldn't he just been a weapon himself? What the hell are you doing? Like, you need to do that, bro. Yeah, yeah. You are a weapon, dude. Who knows? But. He's trying to make himself look better to the public, so when he does get tried, it's like, uh, you know, we kind of, we kind of know this guy and seen his PR team is doing a fucking great job. Yeah, That's what I'm people protesting to get this fucking, guy out. Exactly, dude. I That's mean, a PR stunt. Oh, not a stunt. But I don't know if I want the PR guy and locked up. Uh, I guess so. I just don't know how to support a guy that has bad aim. I, I mean, cause. <sighs> I, I do Dude, feel like pedophiles are horrible runners. You get them lessons. Uh, That's how you support them. You no, get I mean, them lessons. Sex offenders don't run well, right? <laughs> like, I, I just, I don't feel like uh, there are people you need. Are we body to, shaming uh, sex offenders now? No, no, because I haven't really here? seen too many fat ones. It's just, uh, well, they are a little, uh, they're, they're not mentally there, so they don't run well. Uh, so I don't feel like you should have bad aim. I feel like there are always someone you could be like, yeah, I know where he's going. Maybe the guy who was with him, maybe he wanted both of them. Yeah. You never know. You know, they're not really saying an anything about the other guy, but I do feel like because of Kane's actions, the real guy got off the hook now. Yeah, you know, given a lot of uh, these guys usually are coming from, oh, yeah, these, these weirdos come from some kind of privilege. Dude, and what the UFC hell? UFC fighters are like, Unhinged to the max. I, okay, he's I a just, caged fighter, man. He's gonna honestly. He's not gonna be thinking too much, you know. Honestly, I feel like Nate Diaz would have beat the guy's ass. Oh, for sure, Nate would have gave him the um the Stockton slap. Yeah. So, oh. but Nate Diaz is Nate Diaz. Like that dude is like no other. Honestly, that that dude is fucking crazy. How about uh, Sam Elliott? Uh, you heard about that? No. He was dissing the movie Power of the Dog. Because it was a gay cowboy movie. No, gay cowboy movies. What do you think, man? Uh, I think of Brokeback Mountain. Always. Horrible movie, right? It's, it's not that great. I mean, I watched it because uh, 
Well, I watched it so I could have uh, straight sex, uh, and she would do whatever I wanted. And I'm like, if I just watch this movie, I, it's weird that I probably inside I was I was needing a, a reason to watch it. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a shame. You gave yourself a pedestal. It, it's know? a sh- it's a shame we have to think that way. Like, we need an excuse, you know? To watch. Broken. Yeah, no, I, mean, I it, mean, it can be art. My first thought was, why isn't he in pain? I thought this was your first time. <laughs> and uh, and the rest of it was like, this. why is this popular? This is doing nothing for the gay community because this makes these guys look like jerks. It was just really uh, the first big one with huge stars in it. Yeah, yeah, huge. Come okay. on, man. Jake Gyllenhaal. Was it Jake Gyllenhaal? And- yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal and... They look like jerks, um, though, to me. Keith Ledger? You know, I mean, I I would give them props if they didn't have to, like, go behind their woman's back doing this stuff. But but that is probably real. Dude, that's like the 1800s, though. That is probably real life. you're not in front of your woman, you're behind her, you know? You're doing something. That is probably real life, though. It's like... It's not like they could just FaceTime, like, hey, honey, you know, I'm hooking him with this dude right now. I'll I'll come back for dinner later. I have no, actually, yeah, I've known, okay, so now that I think about it, that is real life. I've known gay dudes that have kids, uh, wait, wow, that's actually, yeah, that's got me. Dude, I, I, I was just watching, I was just finishing uh, Euphoria, and one of the plot lines of the main, of the season was a, a dad just came out as gay and left his family, and it was fucking insane. I ain't gonna lie, what, Chloe was, uh, Chloe's the, uh, trans, transgender, right? Or which, which uh, the blonde? Uh, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Um, I don't know her real name. I don't even know her character name until like I watched so the show. So fine after. too, huh? She's a she's a beautiful girl. Man. They guys, uh, my problem with you for you, they they supposed to be in high school, and I be watching like, damn, they so. I know they're not, but then then I know they're not actual high underage actors, but I be watching it like, like they hold are. on, no, I, like they're like they're of age, but then. I know, but then later on, I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. They're supposed to be in high school. I can't be watching this now. Dude, so, you know, people are kind of going wild about that. There was a movie in the 90s called Kids, and those were real child actors, and, like, they really portrayed them, like, having sex and fucking, like, doing drugs and smoking weed. It was, like, 1980s New York in the summer. And those are really kids acting that out. I think it had like Rosario, a young Rosario Dawson in it. Yeah, man, I uh. That movie is fucking like people think Euphoria is crazy. Watch that movie, and you're like, oh shit, these are real kids. We could have had a lot to talk about, about here. This is this is crazy, man. Like, I mean, that wasn't even that long of a time killer. There, I had that that caller. Uh, so I'm just gonna. Dang, uh, so I'm just. <laughs> Gonna, we're gonna have to cut out a little bit. So this is Wally Hippolito. Yep. Um, what do you do to relax? What is your best childhood memory? Um, have you always wanted to be a comedian? Have you ever blanked out on stage? 